Hi class, so this is podcast number four and depending on how lengthy uh, the two parts that I have planned get, we will either have two parts to this podcast or I will continue with one part. So the two parts that I was thinking are intertwined. So one is uh, regarding how do you evaluate a model and the second one is how do you select a model. Right? So in order to select a model, you would have to evaluate the model performance. And that's how I feel like it would make sense to have the two intertwined parts together. But depending on how long it takes me to explain evaluation of models or model performance evaluation, we will decide if we want to have two or one podcast. Okay, so um, when we talk about model performance, I have shown you uh, snippets of model performance where we have talked about the ROC curve. ROC stands for the Receiver Operator Characteristic Curve. Again, it stands for the Receiver Operator Characteristic Curve or the ROC Curve, right? And we have used this in the past to talk about how well uh, we have fitted our model for a classification problem, which was a binary classification problem. So I'll try to go slow and I'll also try to have um, material that can go with the podcast, but I'll try to reduce the dependency so that you can look at the notes either before or after or both and you don't have to necessarily look at the notes during the podcast, right? Um, that's my goal. We'll see how well I satisfy that goal. But just to recap, we had mentioned the ROC curve or the ROC curve, which is also the receiver operator characteristic curve and it's typically known as the ROC curve. And it is the curve that is used to see how well we have fitted different models. So it is used to uh, evaluate the performance of classification models. And the context in which I had shown you the rock curve was a binary classification problem where we were trying to classify whether or not a regulatory RNA is targeting a specific segment of a messenger RNA. Let's just call it a gene. So whether or not a gene segment is a target for a messenger RNA, right? So a positive example is that it is a target and negative example is that it is not a target, right? So essentially uh, the way you use a rock curve is you use it to see the performance of a classification algorithm, right? Now, uh, um, what you have to remember here is rock curve stands for the receiver operator characteristic curve. And I have a little uh, anecdote here, which might kind of help you uh, visualize the scenario. So think of the World War II days where the operator is actually a person. These receiver operators are actually persons. And what would happen is for military purposes, you would have these radar stations and in these radar stations, you have these radar scans, right? So these um, receiver operators, that is these persons, uh, persons, they are sitting in these radar stations and looking at these radar scans. And whenever there is a blip in the scan, uh, you basically want to see whether or not there is, say, a fighter jet. Right? So if there is a plane or a fighter jet versus if there is just a random noise in the form of say flocks of birds, right? So say for example, there is a receiver operator or there is a person, um, 
who's the receiver operator in this case, it actually comes from uh, signal processing, the term receiver operator. So kind of to help you understand where this term comes, which looks pretty esoteric, a receiver operator characteristic curve. That's how I tell you the story. Um, so how it originated is, you know, these receiver operators who are very trigger happy, um, meaning their threshold for uh, detecting uh, fighter jet is low, what they will do is they will flag everything as a fighter jet or a plane, right? So if they see something, if they see a blip in the radar scan, they say, hey, this is a positive. Now what happens is these trigger happy receiver operators, they basically have high false positives, but they also have high true positives, right? So these are these trigger happy people who are very excited to give you these uh, positives right? So not only will they detect a lot of these planes, but they will also detect a lot of the beds as planes. So high false positive and high true positive. Whereas when you have uh, these, uh, you know, people who are more skeptical of things or maybe just nodding off, right? So they will have a very high threshold or they will not have a threshold at all. So they might just not uh, have any coverage in the sense that they will have low false positives and low true positives. So these are the two extremes, right? Um, in between, you will have something called random guessing, right? Which is our baseline. So on one hand, on one extreme, you have these trigger happy people. And on the other extreme, you have these people who never uh, shout out and, um, that, hey, there's a plane, right? So these are these two extremes. Now, that is kind of the story of the receiver operator characteristic curve. So a little uh, bit more about the confusion matrix. Now, the confusion matrix is the contingency table. And remember, I told you that, you know, you have these trigger happy people who flag everything. And so they have a high false positive rate, but they also have a high true positive rate, right? So I use these terms called false positives, true positives, and, and also you have something else that is called a false negative and a true negative, right? Now, essentially where this comes from is a confusion matrix or a contingency table, right? Now, let me explain what a confusion matrix is. And I will have uh, these uh, matrices and some of these uh, additional pictures and figures to kind of help you understand the concepts better. But now in the podcast format, let me try to speak it out, right? So that you can kind of imagine how this works. Now, a confusion matrix or a contingency table has four categories, right? So you have a TP or a true positive, which are examples that are correctly labeled as positives. So if you have a plane and if the receiver operator is correctly labeling it as a plane, then it is a true positive. A false positive is if there is some noise in the form of a flock of birds and if the receiver operator is saying it's a plane, then it's a false positive. So false positives refer to negative examples incorrectly labeled as positive, right? Now, true negative is uh, TN corresponding to negatives that are correctly labeled as negatives and false negatives refer to positive examples that are incorrectly labeled as negatives. So this is what a confusion matrix or a contingency table is, right? Now, this confusion matrix can be used to construct a point uh, in this rock 
space, right? In the space of the rock curve. That is the receiver operator characteristic curve. Now there is another similar concept that is called a precision recall curve. And I will briefly talk to you about that as well. But right now, let us just clarify the concept of the contingency table or the confusion matrix and the rock curve. Now, in the rock curve, what you're essentially doing by using a rock curve is you are seeing or evaluating how good the performance of a classifier is. So this is specifically for the classification problem as opposed to the regression problem. So this metric um, where we use the rock curve is for a classification problem. So it is estimating or rather evaluating the performance of a classifier. And specifically how you evaluate the performance of a classifier is by using something called AUC, area under the curve for the rock curve. So higher the AUC of an algorithm, the better is the performance of the algorithm. Right? So the higher the area under the curve for the rock curve, the better is the performance for the algorithm. Now I said the rock curve requires the uh, confusion matrix or the contingency table. Now what exactly it is, is you have um, on the y-axis you have the TPR, that is the true positive rate, and on the x-axis you have the false positive rate or the FPR. So the rock curve now will be having different uh, you know, points in space in this TPR versus FPR. So let me try to explain that. Uh, so you'll have something called the diagonal, right, which is at 45 uh, degrees from the x-axis. And this diagonal uh, essentially has uh, AUC of 0.5. So this is basically the baseline. So if a classifier is just randomly guessing by flipping a coin, right, that would have this 0.5, which is basically this diagonal of this TPR versus FPR. Now, if you have a bow that is going outward, right, from this diagonal, which is what we want, right, for a algorithm that is performing well, we want this bowing outward from the diagonal. And that is when you have a, this uh, algorithm whose performance you're measuring and the performance is better than the baseline. So you want the algorithm to have a performance that is better than the baseline because baseline is just random guessing or flipping a coin. Now, in the ideal case where an algorithm's performance is 100%, the area under the curve would be, would be one, right? So uh, whereas if the area under the curve for an algorithm is lower than 0.5, it essentially means the algorithm is not doing a good job. And typically it might mean that there is a bug in the algorithm and you might have to debug it, right? So uh, to give you an example, if for the area under the curve, for the rock curve, if you have 0.7% uh, versus 0.8%, uh, or rather, it's not a percentage, sorry, 70% versus 80%, or 0.7 versus 0.8, then the area under the rock curve 80% is a better algorithm. So the higher the area under the curve for the rock curve, the better is the performance of the classifier. 
Now, just to remind you, uh, for example, we had talked about a linear model, a linear classification model, and we had seen that there was significant bias in the linear model. And so we had to use a nonlinear model. And the nonlinear model had a higher area under the curve for the rock curve than the linear model, right? And that's how we had used the nonlinear model, which in that case was the, the nonlinear SVM, support vector machine model, which we were using as a classifier. And because the rock curve had a higher area under the curve for the nonlinear model, we knew that the nonlinear model had a better performance than the linear model. Now, in order to generate the rock curve, what you do is you vary the probability threshold for the output of the classifier. So in the specific example that we had, what we had done is in order to generate the rock curve, we had varied the probability threshold for the output of the SVM. And in that specific case, uh, we had to pass the SVM's output through something called PLAT scaling, P-L-A-T-T -T scaling. Uh, essentially, what that does is that uh, fits a sigmoid that maps the SVM outputs to posterior probabilities, which is slightly outside the scope of what we have talked about so far. Uh, but just to be uh, technically accurate, uh, what we had done is in order to generate the rock curve, we had varied the probability threshold for the output of the SVM, which had essentially been passed through plot scaling. So you can ignore that second part for this uh, class. Uh, but that is how you generate the rock curve, by varying the probability threshold. So I had also told you, and I'm going to show you this uh, figure in the notes for the podcast to give you an example of what this means. So if you look, I'm actually looking at that rock curve and one possible operating region is where you have an FPR of 0.2, for which for the linear model, you have a TPR of 0.469, while for the nonlinear model, you have a TPR of 0.756. Right? So we basically consider these different FPRs for which we get the corresponding TPR. That tells us what we want as our threshold. Right? And in this specific case, we had seen that uh, by using a nonlinear model, we got a 61% improvement. And that's how we went with the nonlinear model. Now, another thing you might notice, since we are talking about that specific example, the incidence of uh, the non-negligible FPR indicates that there is still room for improvement of the classifier, right? For example, we can do further feature engineering, etc. So it's not the best possible classifier. Right? But we saw that our initial uh, assessment that there was considerable bias in the linear model was vindicated because we got a higher um, accuracy by moving from the uh, linear model to the nonlinear model. Right? So I use the word accuracy very, very loosely here, of course. We were talking about the rock curve and the area under the rock curve that was used to evaluate the performance of the model. So I told you there is a related concept which is called the precision 
recall curve. So I don't want to overwhelm you, but just to keep in mind, uh, related concept is the precision recall curve, where instead of doing TPR on the y-axis versus FPR on the x-axis, you would have precision on the y-axis versus recall on the x-axis. So, so far we have talked about the contingency table or the confusion matrix with TP, FP, TN, and FN. We have talked about the rock curve, and we have talked about how you plot the rock curve, right? And then we are introducing the concept of the PR curve, the precision recall curve. But before we do that, we have to introduce uh, the concepts of what precision is and what recall is. And early on, I had told you that, you know, when you're talking about accuracy, just, you know, I'm loosely using accuracy because sometimes just uh, finding the accuracy may not do justice to different machine learning models. And I had not told you about the concepts of precision and recall. So today I will kind of tell you why we need something like precision and recall as metrics for these classification algorithms. Now, before I move on uh, to the precision recall curve and precision recall, etc., uh, one more thing to keep in mind in the ROC uh, curve is that if you think of, you know, remember I told you that you have uh, the two extremes where you have these uh, receiver operators who are very trigger happy and because their threshold is low, they flag everything right? Whether you're seeing a bird or whether you're seeing an, uh, an airplane, they're flagging everything and therefore they have a high false positive but they also have a high true positive. On the other side, you have these um, individuals who are basically either nodding off or they're very conservative, right? And they are not flagging anything, right? So they have a low false positive and a low true positive. Right? So one of the th ways to think of the different points in the rock curve is that these are people with different sensitivities or different thresholds. Right? So that is just another thing to just keep in mind before we move on to the next concept. And the next concept is uh, the PR space, right? where you have precision versus recall. Now, both uh, rock curves and PR curves, they are typically generated to evaluate the performance of a machine learning algorithm on a given data set, right? And this data set has a fixed number of positive and negative examples. Now, one of the caveats of these rock curves is that these rock curves can present an overly optimistic view of an algorithm's performance if there is a large skew in the class distribution. Right? So, and they're also sometimes called um, C-statistic, these rock curves, especially in the medical field, right? So to recap again, in machine learning, you basically need to evaluate the algorithms, right? And uh, you, what you're doing is instead of simply presenting the accuracy results, when performing an empirical validation of new algorithms, you are evaluating them using something called receiver operator characteristic curves. And these rock curves, they show how the number of correctly classified positive examples varies with the number of incorrectly classified negative examples. I repeat, these rock curves show how the number of correctly classified positive examples 
very with the number of incorrectly classified negative examples. But a problem with these rock curves is that sometimes they are overly optimistic, especially when there is a large skew in the class distribution. Now, in such cases, precision recall curves are used uh, as an alternative to the rock curves for tasks with a large skew in the class distribution. Right? So an important difference between the rock space and PR space is also the visual representation of the curve. So if you see the third paper that I had given you early on uh, in the microRNA target uh, classification problem, uh, I basically in the third paper have a, an example of a rock curve and then an example of a PR curve. And you will see how the curves look different for the rock curves and the PR curves. So not only are they different in terms of, you know, uh, when they are used, but the visual representation is also different. So an important thing to note is that if there is a skew in the class distribution, uh, for example, if you consider, uh, say, a cancer data set, right? So there is a big difference in the positive and negative examples, then you will see that the PR space is something that is going to be more discerning than the rock space. Right? And not only is there this distinction of when you would use the rock curves versus the PR curves, they will also look different. And sometimes you will see that if you're comparing these algorithms where there is a large class distribution, um, you will see that although they might look pretty similar for the rock curves, they will be more discriminating when you're using the precision recall space. Right? So I'm using the rock curves and precision recall curves, um, the terminology, or sometimes I say rock space or precision recall space or, or PR space, right? Uh, so just to wrap up, uh, both rock curves and precision recall curves, they are used for classification algorithms, but when there is a large skew in the class distribution, then precision recall curves are more discerning. Right? So you might see that although uh, for the rock space, the algorithms may look similar, you might see that the algorithms uh, separate out in the precision recall space. Uh, so just to give you a little bit of insight into why that happens, is if you consider, for example, a cancer data set. Right? Uh, so in this domain, the number of negative examples greatly exceeds the number of positive examples. Right? Like I said, there is a skew in the class distribution. So a large change in the number of false positives can lead to a small change in the false positive rate used in the ROC analysis, that is the ROC analysis. I repeat, if you have a large change in the number of false positives, it can result in a small change in the FPR, that is the false positive rate. Now, precision, on the other hand, by comparing false positives to true positives rather than true negatives, right? Precision compares false positives to true positives rather than true negatives because it's the positive predictive value. So it captures the effect of the large number of negative examples on the algorithm's performance, right? I will actually come back to this after I tell you what precision and recall is. 
otherwise it's not going to make a lot of sense. And again, uh, this is slightly outside the scope of this lecture to understand how the rock space and PR space are different. But I just wanted you to have the intuition that if it is a very skewed class distribution, then you would favor a PR space over a rock space. Okay, so now uh, going to uh, precision and recall, right? So precision is also known as PPV. So something that I'll do is I'm going to try to use the different terminologies that are used for some of these metrics so that you don't get confused. And then in the handout or the podcast attachment uh, notes, uh, I will put these formally as well, right? Now, to give you an intuition of precision, precision is how many selected items are relevant, right? So you're selecting, but how relevantly are you selecting or how precisely you're selecting, right? Remember that uh, plane versus uh, flock of birds example, right? So if you're continuously making the selection, that is not as important in terms of precision, but how precisely are you saying whether it's a flock of birds or it's a plane, right? So how many selected items are relevant? That is what precision is. So precision or positive predictive value is TP divided by TP plus FP. So true positive divided by true positive plus false positive or how many selected items are re relevant. So you've selected TP plus FP. How many of them are relevant? That is TP. So TP divided by TP plus FP. The other important metric is recall which is also known as sensitivity, right? Now, that is TP divided by TP plus FN, right? So true positive divided by true positive plus false negative, right? So precision is TP divided by TP plus FP. Recall is TP divided by TP plus FN. Precision is also known as PPV and recall is also known as sensitivity. Now, there's another metric that is less commonly used, and that is um, essentially the opposite of recall, and it's called speci specificity. So specificity is the opposite of sensitivity or recall. So recall, that recall is TP divided by TP plus FN. So specificity is TN divided by TN plus FP. It's uh, less commonly used right? And it's exactly the opposite of recall. And there is another um, term that might be helpful is when you kind of want to have a balance between the precision and recall, and that is called the F-score. Sometimes it's called the F-beta score. If you take the most um, generalized form of the F-score, right? Now the F-beta score is the weighted harmonic mean of precision and recall, right? So if you basically don't want to favor either precision or recall, but take the balanced mean of the two, F beta score is the weighted harmonic mean of precision and recall. And depending on whether you want to favor precision more or recall more, you can tune the beta parameter. So the beta parameter determines the weight of recall in the combined score. So if you have beta less than one, it lends more weight to precision. And if you have beta greater than one, 
then it lends more weight to recall. In the same vein, if beta tends to zero, it considers only precision. If beta tends to infinity, it considers only recall. So that's how the beta parameter comes into being. So the F beta score is essentially the weighted harmonic mean of precision and recall, right? And depending on how you tune beta, you can either favor recall or precision. So if beta tends to zero, so if beta is less than one and it tends to zero, then you're favoring recall. If beta is greater than one and tends to infinity, then you favor, um, I actually said it the other way. So if beta is less than one, then it lends more precision, uh, more weight to precision, right? And if beta is greater than one, then it favors recall. And if beta tends to zero, then it considers only precision. If beta tends to infinity, then it considers only recall, right? So this is the F beta score. And uh, essentially when I say it is the weighted harmonic mean, uh, the way you calculate this F score, uh, it's a scalar measurement and it is calculated as twice precision recall divided by precision plus recall. So twice the product of precision and recall divided by the sum of precision and recall. Right? And you can tune this if you want to uh, favor uh, more false positives or more false negatives. Right? And it is a value between zero and one. Right? So just to recap, so far we have talked about uh, the contingency table or the confusion matrix. We have also talked about the rock curve. We have also talked about when you would use the precision recall curve over the rock curve. And therefore we also introduced uh, precision recall and another lesser known metric, which is specificity. Precision is also known as the positive predictive value. Recall is also known as sensitivity and specificity is essentially the reverse of sensitivity. And when you basically want a fair balance between precision and recall, you use something called the F beta score, which is the weighted harmonic mean of precision and recall, reaching its optimal value at one and its worst value at zero. Right? So this is some of the um, preliminaries in terms of how you would compare different classification algorithms. Now I said the exact uh, differences between the PR space and rock space are possibly outside the scope of this uh, podcast, but just to kind of recap what we had talked about now that we have discussed precision and recall, is that if you're comparing um, for different algorithms uh, where there is a big uh, skew in the class distribution, then we favor the comparison in the PR space as opposed to comparison in the rock space, right? And this difference exists uh, in this domain um, because the number of negative examples uh, greatly exceeds the number of positive examples in the domain of, um, say, cancer detection. Right? So what will happen is if you have a large change in the number of false positives, that can result in a small change in the false positive rate that is used in the rock analysis. Right? So although you have a large change in the number of false positives, you can have a small change in the false positive rate. And the false positive rate is used in the rock analysis. But precision right, that you get by comparing the false positives to the true positives 
right? How do you get the precision? You get the precision by comparing the false positives to the true positives, right? Rather than the true negatives. The precision metric therefore captures the effect of the large number of negative examples on the algorithm's performance, right? So this is, um, I'm going to repeat the sentence so that this kind of makes sense to you. Uh, the difference in this domain is because you have a large number of negative examples, right? That largely exceeds the number of positive examples. So if you have a large change in the number of false positives, it can result in a small change in the false positive rate, and the false positive rate is used in the rock analysis. Precision, in contrast, is obtained by comparing false positives to true positives rather than to true negatives. So precision captures the effect of the large number of negative examples on the algorithm's performance. And that is how you use PR analysis as opposed to rock analysis. Another thing to keep in mind is uh, if you're optimizing an algorithm, right, um, so that you have uh, the best uh, rock curve analysis, it is not guaranteed to optimize the area for the PR curve. Right? So if you're optimizing the area for the rock curve, it is not guaranteed that you are optimizing uh, the area under the PR curve. And this is a more general thing to keep in mind, that depending on what you want to do, you might have to optimize your algorithm differently. Right? So that is something that we had uh, alluded to in our earlier lecture, in fact, the first lecture. And just to reiterate, depending on what you're looking to do, you might have to optimize your algorithm differently. So if you're optimizing your algorithm uh, to uh, give you a higher area under the curve for the rock curve, it is not guaranteed to give you a higher area under the curve for the PR curve. So talking about imbalance, uh, early on I had said that you know classification accuracy is not uh, typically um, the main metric that is used in a lot of these classification algorithms. And it's something called accuracy paradox, that although an algorithm may give you a high accuracy, it may not be the best algorithm to use. And at a high level, this is the intuition, right? So if you consider something like fraud detection, right? Uh, in fraud detection, frauds are rare, right? So what will happen is you have a very skewed or imbalanced class. And uh, what accuracy does, one of the reasons why accuracy does not suffice in general, is that accuracy comes up with a threshold of its own, right? And then it says that, okay, if it's higher than the threshold, um, it is um, good. If it's lower than the threshold, it's bad. But how do you come up with this threshold? So by having, for example, the rock curve, right? I said that if you have different thresholds, that would be mimicking, say, people with different uh, thresholds of different sensitivities, right? How trigger happy the person is in the specific anecdote we talked about. So this is the big advantage for the rock curve, that you can come up with these different thresholds. Whereas for accuracy, you have this fixed threshold. And so if you have uh, a big class imbalance, then it is very hard to capture that using accuracy, right? And essentially what accuracy is, accuracy is the ratio of the number of correct predictions to the total number of input samples, right? So accuracy is the number of correct predictions divided by the total number of predictions that have been made. And it works well only if you have equal number of uh, samples belonging to each class. If there is a skew in the uh, classes, then you would basically not 
come up with the right um, kind of uh, model by using accuracy as a metric. So if you again consider that fraud detection example, you will see that say if the fraud is the chance of a fraud is very low, and if the model is just you know uh, is kind of a random classifier, it's randomly guessing and say every time it's telling you it's not a fraud. But because the chance of a fraud is so low that even though uh, the model may keep saying, hey, uh, this is not a fraud, because of the accuracy paradox, uh, you might get an answer that, okay, the model is um, accurately giving you the answers. So accuracy, remember, is the number of correct predictions divided by the total number of predictions made. But that's because the actual number of fraud cases is a very low percentage. Right? And therefore, even though the model may be just giving you the answer that this is not fraud, because of the accuracy paradox, this model is actually not doing a good job, but you may say that the model is accurate. And this is because of the high class imbalance. Uh, another case where this may happen is when you have a rare but a fatal disease. Right? Again, in this case, there is a big skew in the class distribution. And the cost of failing to diagnose that, the, uh, you know, that this is a sick person right, is much higher than the cost of sending a healthy person to more tests. So of course, you might, that not, might not be an ideal case, but you want to make sure in that case that you're diagnosing the sick person as a sick person. Right? So um, this is just um, why you would not want to go with accuracy, um, but rather have something like precision or recall or the F-beta score. Right? So I think uh, because this has kind of become lengthy, we will do the model selection in the second part. Uh, just to recap, everything we have talked about so far is about classification accuracy. Right? We have talked about the rock analysis, we have talked about the PR analysis, we have talked about precision recall. Recall is also known as sensitivity, um, and the opposite of recall is specificity. We've also talked about the F-beta score. And finally, we talked about why accuracy, which is the number of correct predictions divided by total number of predictions, uh, may not be suitable for um, many of these classification algorithms, for evaluating many of these classification algorithms. So to quickly finish this off, uh, we also talked about regression algorithms, right? So everything we have talked about so far for performance evaluation has been for classification performance. Now for regression performance, you, you typically use something called root mean squared error. And we have mentioned this several times, but since this is a podcast on performance evaluation, while we have talked about classification performance, we need to talk about regression performance. And regression performance is typically mentioned uh, measured using RMSE, that is root mean squared error, or MAE, which is mean absolute error, right? An error is essentially predicted value minus expected value, right? So regression performance is using RMSE, MAE, or similar, whereas classification performance is using accuracy, precision, recall, uh, rock curve, PR curve, etc. Now, the last little uh, thing that I want to cover before we end this podcast is once you have uh, measured the performance, right? So you have this performance evaluation uh, using various uh, measures such as accuracy, precision, recall, F1 or F2 score, etc. Uh, what would you want to do, right? You might want to improve the performance, 
right? And in order to improve the performance, you might have to do several things, right? For example, you could modify the hyperparameters. Um, second, you could do something with the data. So you could collect more data, uh, you could fill in the missing cells, you could do normalization, etc. And the third thing that you can do is regularization. And regularization is done to reduce overfitting and underfitting. Right? So regularization is typically um, done to make a model more parsimonious. So parsimony of models where you're basically trying to decrease the number of model parameters uh, is what regularization does. So in order to improve the model, once you have diagnosed what the performance of the model looks like, you can do uh, several things. And let's just talk about it in three ways. One is modification of the hyperparameters, two is uh, stuff related to the data, and three is regularization. Right. So with that, we're going to end this uh, podcast uh, to recap what we have covered in this podcast. We have covered classification metrics. We have covered regression met metrics. And then we have covered uh, points in terms of what to do once you have uh, seen what the classification performance or the regression performance of the model is.